Well, I guess there's no kids here. I can just smash gnats if I want to. No one saw that. I just, no one I has mean, to I just know. told our millions of listeners. Thousands of millions of <laughs> listeners right now are shocked and appalled at your hypocrisy, Megan. What were we talking about? Uh, this is what happens when Rachel's not here. Yeah. This is not something we should do without <laughs> Rachel. Um, so tuck in, everybody, because it's going to be a long night. Welcome to Montessori Moms in the Wild. We are three trained Montessori guides and new moms. We are not here to be your guide per se, but simply to share, commiserate, and even inspire each other on this wild journey. Each episode, we will discuss a different element of the Montessori philosophy, explaining why it is one we find so important and interesting, and then take turns being blatantly honest about how we succeed and struggle with these practices in real life. There is no Montessori album for parenthood, and we are certainly in no shape to write one. Our hopes are that together we can remind ourselves of what is important to us as Montessorians and as mothers in a way that might help other parents, or at least entertain them. So sit back and relax as we take Montessori out of the textbooks and into the wild. Welcome, everyone. My name is Laura. I'm a mother of one with my Montessori training in lower elementary and upper elementary, ages 6 to 12. I am joined by Megan, mother of two, with her training in lower elementary, ages 6 to 9. And we are so very glad to say that the third leg to this Montessori mom squad tripod, Rachel, is officially at home with her brand new baby girl. She's here. She's here. She's finally here. She made her grand appearance after absolutely torturing her mother for <laughs> weeks on end. Poor and Rachel. Seriously. I'm sure she will share all of the details. Well, probably not all the details, but <laughs> um, some of the details with everyone. But man, it was a it was a journey for her. It sure was. And we are over the moon that this baby girl is here. We both actually have yet to get hands on her, but know, oh my gosh, it is a tiny coming. little peanut. It is going to happen. I'm so excited. Me too. And it's actually another reason to be excited tonight. This is technically our first episode back after a little break between seasons. Yeah, I am not okay. I am... So incredibly ecstatic, over the moon, thrilled beyond all measure to be back. I missed you. I missed looking at your face. How are you? Who are you? Nice to meet you. (laughs) And so, yeah, we had a few weeks off and I feel like it was a lifetime and I didn't enjoy it and never doing it again. (laughs) Never. I feel you, sister. I'm glad that we are back. And I am pretty excited that tonight's episode is featuring a special guest. We're going to have a conversation with a... (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's a gnat. Got that gnat. In Megan's face. Flying around me, just taunting me. All up in her grill. Oh, now I feel bad. Oh, the Montessorian (laughs) gotcha. The Montessorian in ya. The living thing that I just smashed just because it was flying too near my face. Just because it was in and around my actual eyeball and could have gotten stuck in the juices and made my life. Does anyone else like feel immediately regretful and sad? I do. When they kill a bug. I absolutely do. I really do. I, in fact, I now, I I will not only not do it in front of the kids in the classroom, right? Because I just spent three years <laughs> like begging them to love all life and respect all living things. So of course I'm not going to step on that cockroach. I'm going to find a cup and lure it into the mm-hmm. cup and throw it outside despite every fiber of my being being on fire in that moment. I'm getting goosebumps just, just thinking about, about it. Yeah. That and I don't. Well, and now I can't do it it. in front of my daughter either because I'm trying to also teach her that. All right. Well, so let's get to it then. So we're going to do – we have to do our little catch-up. So it's been a little while. What is going on, Megan? What is new? What's good? Okay. So my my time off. So it's been a couple weeks for me not podcasting. So I feel like I have nothing to show for it. I was sitting around thinking about what I've done 
And other than like ordering DoorDash an award winning <laughs> amount, amount of times, I can't think of anything. I was sitting down. And I was like, hmm, what have I done? I was like, I've spent thousands of dollars on DoorDash. Same. Is that a Same, thing? Same girl. Yeah. I can't tell you the last time I cooked a meal. Well, yeah. At the time that we are actually recording this, my school year is not actually over yet. I am so close, but I am not there. And if you have ever been a classroom teacher at this point in the school year, when you got so 10 slow. and a half days left to the last day, it is excruciating. It is a whirlwind of things. And the last thing that you're doing is preparing like nutritious and delicious <laughs> home-cooked meals for yourself and your loved ones. So I'm with you. I am with you right now. Yeah, so that's all I have to show for it. It's just a hefty visa bill. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I will then I guess it just makes sense for me to keep going with what I'm saying, which is that this is a particularly crazy time right now for me in my life, personally, professionally, all of the things. And so, like I said, this part of a school year is always madness, right? This particular school year has been extra mad for me. And then to top all of that off, it is actually finally time for me to talk about the fact that I am not returning to the classroom next year. Her eyes got really big. (laughs) Her hand is on her forehead. I forgot how to breathe for a second. <laughs> this is a great episode. Kelly will teach yeah, you. This is Don't a great worry. episode for this conversation to be happening. So yeah, so I, as everybody knows, I'm a classroom teacher. I'm in a lower elementary class. So that's first, second, and third grade. I have done this for nine years now. And I think other teachers out there might be able to relate to what what I have experienced, which is that being a teacher is not just your job. It becomes a part of your identity, how you think about yourself, how you define yourself, how you introduce yourself. You know, it's it's a it's like gets into you at a molecular level. And I suppose mm-hmm. there's a reason for that. I suppose that you end up being a teacher because it was always a part of you, right? And when you give so much of yourself that it's not just this thing that you hang up at the end of the day and go on to the other parts of your life, you know, you go to sleep worrying about these kids and you spend the majority of your time and life with them. I mean, you're a Montessori teacher, so you spend three years with the same children and it's it's part of your life. It's not just a job. Yeah. I think that's also another element of it is that being a Montessori teacher means that there doesn't really feel like there's any one natural stopping point that you can step Mm -hmm. away from your classroom and not have this just tremendous sense of guilt and Mm -hmm. sadness because it's not that, you know, it's going to be a new teacher next year in that room, but also it's a whole new group of kids. It's, you know, two thirds of those kids are my kids. They're my kids, right? So it just is. And you have to break all of their little hearts individually. And I did recently. And that's why I can talk about it now on the podcast. And I actually should have opened with apologizing to like all three of you roughly that listen to both of my podcasts because I I did recently announce this also on Not Another Momcast that this was happening and that I could talk about it because I did tell the kids and and the families and who that leveled me. And well, I'm one of those listeners. So right, that's why I said three of you accepted. because you literally are one of the three. I think it's you, Danielle, and like my girl Kelly up in Pipersville. So um, thank you to all three of you. And sorry, but. Um, Yeah, it just, it's a hurricane of emotions for me because there is the sadness and the guilt that I just mentioned, but there also is a lot of excitement and hope and joy and just like uh, almost a dumbfoundedness about the opportunity that, that just fell into my lap. And I'm really grateful for the universe for making it happen and uh, you happen to play a pretty big role in it over there, Megan, my personal manifester slash cheerleader <laughs> as sort of the like common connection slash like monkey in the middle between me and my new employer. We call it meddling. Yeah, you were totally it's meddling. Totally meddling. <laughs> I am the puppet master. <laughs> and I am grateful for it. I'm just going to shout her out. She listens. She'll have to just tell me if I should not have done this. But Gina, Gina Conley of Mama Stay Fit. So like Namaste, right? Like yoga. Again, really good episode to mention this in. But Mama 
stay fit. Get it? Are you getting it? Are you getting all the ways that there are wordplay in this title? Because I am here for it. You know I love a good wordplay. I feel like you're yelling at me. <laughs> I've got the finger. Do you see my fingers you're are going? You're pointing your fingers at me and I am just – I'm scared. I don't want to answer the question. Um, okay. I'm sorry. I just got really – is... this is not going well. Clearly, I'm not going to be able to be concise about this. Mama Stay Fit. Basically, Megan came to me and was like, hey. I found a doula and I was like, ooh, that's cool. The next sentence out of her mouth was, she runs a gym for pregnant people and she like has programming for what to do to basically train for your birth. And it's like legitimate exercise. Like it's real. There's barbells. There's, yeah, like it's, yeah. it's the real deal. And that had my attention because – fitness and exercise. That was a huge part of my identity going into my pregnancy. And then you get pregnant and you don't know yeah, what to the do. first handful of things you read till you don't lift anything over 20 pounds, like don't exert yourself, basically lay down for nine months and just wait for the baby <laughs> to come peacefully. And it's like, that can't be And then be go right. through this marathon of a birthing right. experience after doing nothing for And then be months. surprised yeah. that you are destroyed on every level, right? And it was just like, that can't be right, you know? And it was just, I was just very drawn to that part of what she was doing. So I sought her out for that and started following her programming remotely from my little garage gym. And then I decided to go to her birth education classes, like what to expect for actually having this baby. And you were at that one with me and holy cow, did I learn a lot, like a lot yeah. A lot, a lot, a lot. In like four hours, I learned more by by a long shot than I did at a two-day-long hospital like birthing prep class by our big major hospital in the area. And I was just amazed. I was just smitten. I thought she was so cool. I thought everything that she was doing was so cool and so important. And she was empowering moms. And like I learned from her class what my rights even were as a birthing mother at a hospital. You know, like just – Wow. Just so much wow. And it is all very exciting. And yeah. it is basically, I'm, I'm going to have the opportunity to pivot at least for a little while from being a classroom teacher with the kids to being a resource of various types of information for moms, for the people who are starting that journey or doing this for yeah. the second, third, fourth time, whatever it is. And that's really, really exciting. You know, there's so much flexibility there. I, I could do Montessori at home classes with new moms who, if they're interested. And also I'm going to learn so much more and yeah, I'm just really, really, really excited, but also feeling all those other things that I kind of opened <laughs> with. So it's just like, it's just a lot right now. It's a lot right now. I am one, so excited for you and two, just so inspired by you. I feel like it's really, really hard to like, you know, you just said it very nonchalant, like I'm just going to pivot. Like that's so hard to do. And so many people stay so stuck in something that doesn't make them happy or isn't serving their family. Like you love Montessori. I mean, we have this whole podcast dedicated to it and you love your students and it has nothing to do with that. It's not working for your family right now. Yeah. And the fact that you're able to make that decision of what's best for your family and branch out and have the confidence to do that. It's so scary to change, especially as you get older. To just change your career is unheard of for a lot of people. And so I just think it's an amazing thing that you're doing for yourself, an amazing thing that you're doing for your family. And I think that the mothers that will have you as a resource and support are incredibly lucky. And I'm very excited for you. Thank you. And I'll meddle in your life. Yeah, keep Any that meddling time. going, girl, because it is working <laughs> for me. And I mean, part of it too is like people get opportunities. I say I meddle, but mostly it's that there was an opportunity and you jumped on it and that's super difficult to do. And people let opportunities fly by them all the time. And the fact that you had the confidence and the drive to take a risk and a, a random opportunity is huge. And it's really exciting. And I think it's going to be an awesome adventure. And you still have this, like you're still in the Montessori world, you're still using it with your child and it's still always going to be a part of you. So I'm excited. Okay. I think that we are sufficiently caught up. Thank you for listening to my entire life journey. I 
think we should get into it. I think we should bring out our amazing guest for today. So Megan, what are we doing tonight? This week, we are very excited to talk to mother and entrepreneur Kelly from Namaste with Kelly. She has a background in special education and is a certified yoga teacher and certified kids yoga teacher and mindfulness teacher. She began sharing yoga and mindfulness with children in the community several years ago and currently owns a community learning space called The Connection Corner, where she leads groups for children to move, breathe, play, and learn together. Kelly currently teaches yoga at a Montessori school and forest school, and we are so curious to hear what her observations have been with the children she has worked with. So welcome to the show, Kelly. We are thrilled to have you. Thank you for having me. So just kind of getting into you and like, we just kind of want to know you and, and where this whole thing started, where you have come from and how your experience with education and your childhood kind of brought you to this amazing place that you are now. Like we want to hear about all the things that you're doing now, but let's kind of rewind and talk a little bit about what your childhood was like and your education experience. What was that like and kind of how has that shaped you? Yeah. So I, um, I grew up in Michigan with my mom and my dad and I have a younger sister. I went to a traditional public school. I love school. I loved my teachers. Um, I played school with my sister nonstop. Uh, my whole, my room was a school. My basement was a school. So I knew from a really young age that I wanted to be a teacher. So kind of moving through my life, there was really no other question about what I wanted to do. It was always that I wanted to be a teacher. Have I seen that your daughter does that too? She does. That's yeah, so she funny. actually um she plays Miss Kelly. Oh I thought I saw a video and I was like, that is so sweet. She was <laughs> yeah, like pretending be, she's like dressed up like you or something. Yeah, she definitely has a lot of the same characteristics that I had as a kid, but we'll see how she grows. And if yeah. she decides to do this too. I just think it shows how positive of an experience it is, you know, when when you are mimicking what you see and it's a positive mm-hmm. thing, you know, and it makes you like you want to be that versus it being a teacher being someone that you are fearful of or someone that is telling you what to do that you don't and like and you want to rebel against, but you want to be like them. So it sounds like that was a really positive experience for you and kind of led the way to where you eventually ended up being a teacher. Yeah. I, I had really good teachers. Like looking back now, I had a lot of different types of teachers, but always like a really good experience. When I got to high school, I got involved in a community service, um, like a club and the teacher of that club. I mean, he's one of my idols now, Mr. Citron, and he kind of shaped me as a teacher and then also introduced me to Special Olympics, which is kind of where I found my love of people with disabilities and people with differences. And so I always kind of look back on him and that experience. And if I didn't have that, you know, in high school, I have no idea what I would be doing or it would look really different. Yeah. So what, what did you do exactly? What did you end up, you know, majoring in and what did your, what was your classroom experience? Yeah. So I was involved in that community service group, got involved in special Olympics. And then I had the opportunity as I think I was a senior where I got, if you wanted to be a teacher, you could choose like a classroom and go for part of your day to an elementary school. And I got placed in the special education classroom. And so, you know, then it was like solid, like I am going to be a special education teacher. And so then I went to school, to college in Detroit, and I got a special education degree. And then I ended up getting my first job out in Seattle. So I was like 23 or 24. And I decided I'm going to move to Seattle. And that was where I got my first job as a special education teacher. I didn't have a yoga practice then, but I wish I did. I think back a lot on that first teaching experience and like what I could have been doing in the classroom if I knew what I know now. You know, I think back on students and I'm like, oh man, like that student needed yoga. We could have been doing, you know, this, this or that. So Okay. So you said you were, clearly you were not doing yoga as a new teacher. And so at what point 
in the journey do you find yoga? So I assume you found it personally first. Yes. So I was out in Seattle teaching um, in a special education class and I met my boyfriend, now husband out there, Army. Um, And so we were there for a couple years together, but then we moved here to Southern Pines. The idea of yoga always appealed to me, but I don't know. I guess I didn't find like the right studio or the right class or the right teacher because I never really got into it. But when I moved here to Southern Pines, I didn't know a soul. And so I remember I were like in our apartment and I typed in yoga and Hadasana came up and there was like a class, you know, at four o'clock and I went and I completely fell in love with the class with the teacher with the space. I mean, I went all the time after that. I went like four or five days a week. I wish I could do that now but life is different. I love that you remember what time it was too. (laughs) I remember because it was, it was Lisa Tiffany. She was the first teacher that I went to and she always taught that four o'clock class because, so I got a teaching job out here too. So I would go to school to teach and then I would rush over to that four o'clock yoga class like almost every day. But yeah, I, there was something about just that that stillness, that peace, that movement that I hadn't, I hadn't known before. And I was like, yes, this is, this is it. Like, this is my people. This is where I need to be. And so that's how I found yoga. And so I was teaching at Southern Pines Elementary and I was like, man, if, you know, it's doing this for me, like, I wonder what would happen if I started doing yoga with my students. So you had no like training. You just kind of walked in there when like, what do you do? Like, (laughs) all right, I think we do. I I've done in my yoga class that I've been to a few times. Like, I mean, honestly, that was kind of how it went. I can't remember how long I was doing yoga, but I was teaching in a self-contained special education class. I had, I think at the time I had six or seven students. So a very small group, but I was like, okay, I'm going to get some yoga mats and, you know, okay, we're going to take a couple deep breaths and okay, we're going to do a few yoga poses. And then I'm going to play a song, you know, for yoga rest. And like, that's, that's what we're going to do. And that's what I did uh, for quite a while, but there was just something different with the students. When we started doing that, they, you know, for students who have, you know, autism and ADHD and I have some students with Down syndrome and all of these things going on. It was like the one time of the day where I didn't have to fight them, you know, to come and be engaged and get excited and participate. And so it felt like magic. And I still say it to this day. I'm like this, it's magic, but it's not. I mean, it's so real what's happening, you know, with the body and the mind. It's very scientific. Yeah, it, it is. But I always laugh. I'm like, it's, magic. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's so something that we love about Montessori is following that interest mm-hmm. for children and kind of following that natural desire. And when you find something that you don't have, there's not that tension and that they're not pushing against and they're not fighting and it just feels easy and it feels like magic. Like that's where that's where the learning happens. Yes. You know, during during that time where there's that battle learning doesn't happen there. And so I just think that that's so interesting that you so authentically found that and were able to kind of see it and experience it in such, like nobody came up to you and was like, okay, we're going to go through this training and I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. And I'm going to tell you what you need to do to like get the kids interested. Like you just, you felt it and you found it. And that's such a beautiful, beautiful experience. What did you see happening with them outside off of their mat? after they started doing yoga and just taking that time to kind of rest. Right. Right. And and that's what it is, right? It's like giving ourselves time and space to just be right. Mm -hmm. Like just be who you are in that moment. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, happy, sad, frustrated, anxious, like you're allowed to just be who you are on your mat um, for, for grownups and for kids. So there was like this confidence, I guess they were, they were finding success on their mat. We we're practicing, you know, balancing like a tree on the yoga mat. But then we go out to the playground and they were, you know, attempting to try new things on the equipment or mm-hmm. they were, you know, practicing partner poses on their yoga mat. And so then they were kind of generalizing those skills um, on the playground and making new friends. And it was just really 
like I look back now because like you said, it kind of happened, it happened authentically and it happened like I didn't plan for that. So it's kind of hard then to go back and like, what, what was it, Mm -hmm, you know? And so it's, it's cool to reflect on that. Um, A lot of those students though, that I had then they were third and fourth graders, fifth, they're still my students now. They still come to my classes. They're like 14, 15, 16 years old now. And so they have this practice that they started, you know, in third grade that's shifted and it's changed, but, but it's their practice, right? And they can keep that for their whole life. I love that. Which is so, it's it's special. And it sometimes like makes me want to cry because I'm like, I can't believe you guys still come like, and they still, they, they want to come and they, they have that desire, that excitement for it still. I will just say that I think one of the reasons that we were so drawn to having you as a guest is that it's a huge part of the Montessori philosophy to believe that education should address the whole child and not just academics, right? So mm-hmm. we love what you're doing in the classroom, which is not your typical academic experience. So yoga, right? There's not just the physical element of the stretch and everything, but you're teaching all of these mindfulness Mm-hmm. practices. So what have been some of the benefits that that's had in the classroom or even just outside of life? Because really a lot of our listeners are moms at home mm-hmm. with kids. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, we can speak to the benefits of practicing mindfulness, just period. Right. Could you say what mindfulness is first, just in case anyone's not really sure? Like sometimes I feel like it's a word that's thrown around that we're not sure. It's a bit of a buzzword. Yeah, yeah. it is. It's definitely a buzzword now. You know, when I started doing this, I didn't know anybody doing yoga, you know, with kids. Even yoga and mindfulness was so new to me at the time. And, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have like a social media account at the time where I was like connecting with other people. So I was just kind of like, you know, here I am and this is what I want to do. But there is a lot of talk about mindfulness now for teachers, for parents. And really it's just being in the moment, right? Being present with whatever is right now. And so that might be your emotions, you know, it might be what's happening outside of you, but simply just being there because so often, especially, you know, when we get super busy with life, we're thinking about what already happened, you know, or what we have to do next. What's next on the checklist? When is it dinner? What's for dinner? What do I have to, you know, get done for the next day? When is bedtime? When is nap? All of these things. And so I think there's such, or there is such benefit in just being here right now. Yeah. I feel like something, again, that ties so well into Montessori is we believe that children are just people, that we're all just people and that we all really have the same needs. Mm -hmm. And so I can think about you know, for me as an adult stopping and, and having that mindfulness practice or that yoga practice or whatever that looks like for someone else. But I am very curious and I'm sure other people with young children are, how do you bring this mindfulness practice to such small children? Like I'm thinking about, I have a two-year-old and a one-year-old. How do I start this practice with them when, you know, I don't know how much they're understanding? Like, cause I know that they need it. And I feel like sometimes when we talk about us as parents, like we know that our brain is constantly going and we are have these hectic lives, but so do our toddlers, so do our school age children. They're bouncing back and forth to places constantly and we're doing the next thing and we're rushing them out the door and and they need it too. But I I think I can speak for a lot of parents of young children, like how? How do you do that? And I've seen all of your videos and all the kids just look so calm and at peace. Like how do you practically bring that to them? Yes. So my my background, you know, is teaching, elementary teaching, and then even more specifically, special education. Um, and then now I have an almost four-year-old who's been coming to yoga groups with me since she was, you know, a newborn. I think she was four or six weeks old. So I've learned a lot from her, honestly. How can I incorporate her and make her aware of all these things um, in an age-appropriate way? Um, I've also done like some toddler classes at the studio as well. But I think really the main thing is as a parent or as a teacher of young children is like to have that mindfulness practice ourselves first. Love that answer. (laughs) And everyone listening knows that I love that answer. You know, and it sounds, and again, it's like that buzzword. And so many people are saying like, you need to do this, you need to do that. And I know it's, it's really hard and it doesn't have to be as hard as people think it is because really it's, 
It's slowing down. I actually wrote down a quote that I love and I come back to it all the time. You've probably heard it, but it's between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space, there's power to choose our response. Mm. And I think when we are moving so fast through life, a lot of times we don't even give ourselves a chance to give that space to even think about like what we're going to say or do next. Mm -hmm. And so especially when we have young children who are have a lot of needs and, you know, tears and big emotions, when we're able to sort of stop and notice that's mindfulness and then respond. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think when we are able to do that, kids, they see that we're modeling that for them. And I think when, especially when they're little, I think that is so, is so huge and oftentimes a really missing piece, like in that whole puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree with everything that you're saying. I feel like it's a very Montessori answer. One of our underlying messages always is you don't have to teach things explicitly for children to absorb them and understand them. And the much more effective way to convey a lesson, a skill, a concept is to just simply do it yourself Mm -hmm. and do it consistently and expose them to it and give them opportunities to participate in it when they are driven to do so. And that's yoga. And yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right. I think, I think sometimes, you know, I get the question a lot of how can I do this with my own kids? How can I do this at home? How can I do this in my classroom? And I think the first thing is you have to kind of let go of everything that you think yoga is. You know, we think of yoga as you have to have a yoga mat, you have to be in a studio, has to be, you know, kind of dark and dim and calm music and, you know, 60 minutes to do yoga poses and breathe and then rest. And like, if you're not doing all of that, then you're not doing yoga. And so, especially with kids, we have to let that go completely. Mm. My favorite times, honestly, to practice yoga is just everyday activities and do them a little bit slower, you know, and be really intentional with whatever it is. So it might be, you know, going for a walk. So instead of just saying, you know, we're going to go walk around the block, we're going to walk around the block, but we're going to take our time and we're going to notice the flowers and we're going to stop and listen to the birds. And, you know, we're going to look at the numbers on the mailboxes and all of these things like that's yoga. Yeah. Right. Or, you know, if we're making a meal, like doing it a little bit slower and not just rushing through it, you know, to get it in the oven and get it done. We can't do it all the time, obviously, but I think if we kind of carve out times throughout our day or our week and be really intentional with that, I think you'll see benefits really quickly. I'm going to be honest with you. I absolutely was hoping you were just going to give me like a lesson plan of like you introduce (laughs) this pose first and you hold it for this many seconds and then you breathe and this is what you say when you're breathing. And I was just like really hoping there was going to be some, some direct explicit instruction. So it is wildly inconvenient and also extremely (laughs) inspirational to remember that it is so much more simple than that. And that really ultimately the power of conveying the importance of mindfulness is to genuinely practice it myself. And Mm -hmm. it's just so interesting, the idea of doing this with a child. And I think a lot of adults, including even myself at times, will kind of write it off as something that a kid isn't capable of comprehending it. Like Megan, you were saying, what if they don't have the language to explain, like, we're just going to be present. We're just going to use all of our sense. What do you smell? They can't tell you yet. You know, like all of that seems like it's such a moot point with kids. But what's interesting is saying that as an adult who so desperately needs mindfulness in her life and, you know, is grasping at straws to find it, how beneficial would it have been to me to have been given these tools and had this modeled for me well before I was at a point in my life where on a daily basis in the back of my head, it's just stress. I say that all the time. I mean, I was 20, 26, 27 when I even discovered yoga. And then I look at my daughter who yoga is an everyday word. Mindfulness is an everyday word. She's going to grow up or all these kids, right? Like they're going to grow up and this, this is just what it is. It's just part of the everyday experience, part of who they are now. It's who they are. It's normal. I get that a lot too. I get people saying, well, my, my kid can't do yoga. 
you know, my kid can't sit still. There's no way that, that they can do yoga. And my first response is bring them to yoga, right? Violet, my daughter, she's three and a half and she is very peaceful, you know? And so people will say she's so peaceful and she is, she's a great kid, but she's three and she is a normal three-year-old and she has big emotions. And I yell sometimes I yell today more than I wanted to, you know, we have a very normal household. So we do a lot of yoga. We practice a lot of mindfulness, but it's really in those moments that things aren't going perfectly and they're not going great. And I am able to step back and say, okay, wait a minute. I just yelled at you. Your body is moving very fast. My body's moving very fast. I'm going to take a breath. This isn't going well. You know, those are the moments that I'm most proud of as a parent you know, Mm. being able to notice it and being mindful of it, yeah. you know, and then move forward. You know, it's great when everything is perfect. And a lot of the pictures on social media, that's like the most peaceful moment. It's not all like that. Yeah. I love, I love, love, love that you're saying this because I feel like it's easy to assume. And I know that if I think about it, I'm like, of course, everybody has their struggles and stuff, but it's so nice to hear that we, we can listen to, oh, you know, she just practices yoga all day and she has this perfect child and and my my life doesn't look like that. And so I think it's so encouraging to say that one, one of the reasons that, you know, you call it a practice is because it's practice. There's never this point that you get to that everything's perfect. And stays that way forever. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's an ongoing journey. And then the other part being that it's okay to show up as you are. Like you you said, your kid, they couldn't do it. My kid could never do this. That's why I'm not going to do it. Or I hear all the time people saying that they can't do yoga because they're not flexible enough, or I can't do yoga because I'm a stressful person and I'm not like Zen enough. And it's just like, it's a tool to help, like Laura said, like to get through those hard moments And it's not something that's going to eradicate the hard moments. It's just a boat to keep yourself afloat during those storms. And so I think that that's so amazing. And I know that we talked about this last time and I really wanted to hit on it again because I felt like it was really mind-blowing to all of us was we had talked about kind of tantrums and kind of how we handle those like hard moments. And you had pointed out that you do this practice before those hard moments come. And so I kind of wanted to talk about that. Like, what are you doing? What are you labeling? How are you doing that? So that when those hard moments come and those big feelings come and those big emotions arise, that these, we're not all of a sudden being like, be calm, <laughs> breathe. Right. And it's the right, first right, right. time they're hearing this. Yeah. So what what does that practice look like for okay, young yeah. children? Well, I'm glad you brought that up. So we use a lot... I think it's one of the most powerful tools that that there is for kids and for grownups, but the use of affirmations, those I am statements, right? I, like you said, I am a stressful person. We say these things to ourselves all the time. I'm not calm. I'm, I'm this, I'm that. So we, we use a lot with the kids, you know, I am calm. I am peaceful. I'm kind. I'm strong. I'm brave. We incorporate those in our everyday right? And it might be in a yoga class or it might be on a walk, especially the I am calm. You know, when we're, when we're doing yoga, maybe it's during yoga rest, pairing that with I am calm, you look very calm. So that when we get to those big emotions, we can start to, you know, and we say calm down. If a child has never learned what calm is or feels like, there's definitely no way that they're going to be able to get to that point when those big emotions start to come. And I think it's really powerful to say, you know, it looks like your body is starting to move really fast. So let's start to slow it down. Let's take a breath together, you know, and we have a bunch of breathing tools that we practice. But when we practice these things in a controlled environment that naturally is peaceful, it's intentional, We practice it all the time so that when we get to those hard moments, like sharing a toy, leaving the playground, all like the, the list goes on of all the things that happens in a child's life that are really hard. We've practiced it so many times and it's not always going to be perfect, but the idea is that we can kind of come to that calm quicker 
than if we didn't have those tools. You know, we were just in Michigan and my nephew is two and a half. So I have a three and a half and then a two and a half year old for a week. And so lots of big emotions, you know, sharing toys, different schedules, meeting new people, all the things. And so emotions were running very high and we had to use our mindfulness tools a lot more than we do when we're just at home by ourselves. And so I'm like, I'm gosh, I can't imagine not having those tools in our pocket during these really hard moments. What are kind of your go-tos with like, I think we had talked about this a little bit about those like deep breaths and how are you kind of practicing those beforehand? Because I could imagine when we had talked about this, it was like, oh yeah, duh. Like these things should be taught in a controlled environment. These things should be taught before, or at least experienced before the big thing happens. That was the big thing that stuck with me too, that you definitely taught me when we last chatted was that you make this emphasis on labeling and identifying what is calm in my body mm-hmm. in the in a moment of calm so that right. when you get to a point where your advice to a escalating child would be to find calm they know what that looks yeah. like what that feels like you know you mentioned last time like feel your heart how is it beating you know like the mm-hmm. whole 9 yards being able to truly understand what that is in your body? Mm -hmm. What is that experience so that you can move towards replicating it, which in that moment, maybe it makes a little bit more sense now why someone might be telling me to take a big deep breath. Because I remember when I was calm, I was breathing in this way. And right now I can feel in my body, I'm not breathing, I'm holding my breath or I'm breathing really fast. And that like blew my mind because I never thought to label. I thought of how many times have I asked a child to calm down and realizing now they might not have at any frame of reference for truly what is calm. You know, mm-hmm. like that's different from just quieting down, right. uh, making your body still, but your mind yep. is racing, right? Like yep. what truly is calm? Yeah. Well, I was just thinking about that with my daughter. She had some big feelings and she was struggling to kind of calm herself down. And so I was doing big, deep breaths and I was like, okay, we're going to take deep breaths. And I realized now like we haven't practiced that, you know, in any other environment. So even those taking those deep breaths, that's not only is she in a heightened state of sensitivity and, you know, struggling, but now I'm also offering this brand new foreign concept. (laughs) It's just like, seems like that's probably way more overwhelming. Like there's no familiarity, like, okay, I'm, I'm crying and I'm screaming and I feel no sense of calm. And now you're going to tell me to do something new. Like, (laughs) I mean, I, I think about if I was like at a job and I was having a hard moment because I didn't know what to do. And then like, okay, we'll just do this thing that you've never done before. What? Like that throwing something else on top of it does not help. So for me, selfishly, how could I teach deep breaths and calm preemptively before we get to those tantrums and those hard moments? Well, I think first I want to say your whole little story right there, like that's mindfulness, right? Like you were able to take a step back from the situation, look at what happened and that awareness of like, wait a minute, like that, I know I did that, but like that probably wasn't the best thing to do in that moment. I do that all, I do that all the time. And it feels like it's right, right? You're like sitting there like, okay, I'm going to help her calm down and I'm going to tell her to breathe. And I felt like I was doing everything right. You do have to take a step back and be like, maybe this wasn't the most helpful thing and that's okay. And that's okay. Right. And you do it and you do it differently next time. And Mm -hmm. maybe you don't do it differently next time. I mean, my daughter has practiced, you know, I don't even know how many yoga classes she's been to. And I mean, just today I told her, you look like you're upset. (laughs) Your body's moving fast. You're breathing heavy. Take a deep breath with me. And I mean, her response was, no, I want to take a big breath, you know? And so like, there's that too, right? It's not always going to be perfect, but we move through that and then we move on, right? We can't, we don't Mm -hmm. get stuck on it. And that's, that's also yoga, Mm -hmm. but with kids, you know, breathing can be super abstract, right? Like we can't, we can't see it. And of course, like we're always breathing. So when we say breathe, they're like, well, I am breathing, (laughs) You know, and or so, what are you talking about? Like, what are you talking about? So, I think making their breath their own, right? And having that awareness of their breath and the power that their breath holds, like, it's a superpower because it does, right? Like, if you take even like right now, if you sit 
and breathe, even one breath will slow things down a little bit. Oh, I feel um, so when, calm. <laughs> right? And then try two or three. And I mean, it's a game changer. So it doesn't mm-hmm. take very long. Like we don't have to spend 20 minutes teaching breathing because most of us don't have that kind of time. We're driving and we're busy. We're, we're going. So one of my favorite breaths is belly breath because you don't need anything except your body, which can give kids like a huge sense of control and power because they have everything that they need right here with them. So I would tell them, you know, to touch their belly and even touch their heart too, if they want to start to notice their heartbeat, but touch your belly and then take a breath in through their nose. So you might say, you know, pretend you're smelling a flower. You probably heard that one or smelling a cookie or their favorite smell, but then fill up their belly. So their belly gets really big and then let out the air. So maybe it's blowing out a candle, a birthday candle, or, you know, just blowing air out and then their belly goes down. And so my belly goes up, my belly goes down, my belly goes up, my belly goes down. Quick question. Is belly breathing basically like the kid-friendly term for like diaphragmatic breathing, like yeah, breathing into your diaphragm. And it's like right. a good cue is to actually fill, you know, your to whole core up. and not just your, your chest. We'll call that balloon breath too. Okay. Like you're, you're blowing up a balloon. So you're sucking air in through your nose, you're filling up your belly, and then you're letting all that air out. But so they can actually feel their breath and it And it's fun, you know, and so they want to make their belly really big. And so naturally it starts to slow down. If you want to incorporate like a prop or a a toy or something, we'll grab like a stuffed animal or a baby doll and they can lie down and then place the animal or doll on their belly. And so that when they're breathing in, their belly gets big and then they let the air out, their belly goes down. It's like they're rocking their animal or their doll to sleep. So they're breathing in, they're breathing out. I think you had mentioned too, like a pom-pom or a pinwheel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a bunch of kind of props or tools to use. A few of my favorites, pinwheels, you know, you can get them at the dollar store, Hobby Lobby or Amazon, but that tangible item to breathe in through their nose and then blow out and they actually see the pinwheel moving and they're like, you know, I did that. Yeah. And it doesn't happen naturally with with kids. You know, sometimes it'll take a few practices before they can really get the pinwheel moving. And you practice that in like, you know, we talked about a controlled environment, a safe setting, you know, a peaceful space. And so they're practicing those breaths so that when they get to those big moments, they've they've done it before. Yeah. I mean, they're not crying because they have to leave the playground and then you hand them a pinwheel and you're like, breathe on the pinwheel. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Again, we're doing this when they're not already escalated. Right. And so, you know, you might, you might say, you know, we're going to be getting ready to leave the playground, you know, in five minutes. And so it can be really hard to leave the playground. You might feel upset. So let's try taking a few big breaths so that when we have to leave, our body is moving a little bit slower so we won't be as upset and we can leave the playground and then come back next time. You know, obviously it's not always going to go just like that, but I think if we kind of go into the situation with that kind of slow down and take our time with, yeah. with, with our kids or with our students, it's worth it. Another really Montessori connection to that way of teaching about breathing, especially in younger children, is that you're giving them a very concrete visual to go with a relatively abstract concept, right? Like Megan and I are grasping at straws, like how do we explain this to a toddler? And you're affirming like, yeah, breathing, what a wild concept. It's not something you think about at all. Your body just does it for you. So I love the idea of having a pom-pom to blow out of the palm of your hand or a pinwheel to spin or a stuffed animal on your stomach that you see going up and down. And it's like just this visual feedback, which is so important to toddlers and young children. And I think so that's like a lot of the breathing. And when we add yoga poses, shapes with our body, when we pair that breath with a pose, it becomes even more concrete, right? Because the only way that you'll be able to stand on one foot in balance is if your body is slow and calm and you know you're present and you're mindful in that moment. When we start to 
get really excited and we're bouncing around or we get upset, you know, we're more apt to fall over. And so I think when we offer poses to children, it builds their confidence and they like the way that it feels and they want to do it again, right? That's why we want to keep going back to yoga because it feels good, you know, to slow down and it feels good to be, to be present and to just be just be yeah. in a peaceful space. We we want that as adults and kids want that. Even when kids have a lot of energy and all, all over the place that they, they they want control over their body and they want control over their emotions. And so we just have to help them get there. Yeah. And there's so yeah. little that they really truly can feel like they have control over mm-hmm. for so much of their childhood, right? So right. being the captain of your own ship, that's a pretty huge gift to give a a child who feels like, again, they have no say over their schedule, over where we're going, Mm -hmm. when we're going, how we're getting there. It's all just happening to me. And I also want to point out, you know, I mean, a lot of this talk is about being calm, but there's also being with those big emotions. You know, it's Mm -hmm. okay to be upset that we're leaving the park. Yeah. And so we still have to leave and it's okay to cry and be upset that we're leaving. Mm Mm-hmm. You, you can't yeah. hit and you can't bite and you can't do all these other things that are going to hurt somebody else, but it is okay to be sad. And how can we be sad and then still move on with our day? Yeah. 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 It's about being comfortable in all of those yeah. states. And part of that is to one, be familiar with them. We've talked about this. We had an episode on, um, on crying and just kind of those those big feelings and allowing them to happen. And I think that one of the reasons we were so drawn to that is because I've said so many times, like, it's okay to cry. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be frustrated. And never once have I even really talked about it's okay to be calm and here's what calm looks like. And so I think that's why we're kind of mm-hmm. focusing on that. Right. And I love that you're saying, making sure that we remember as parents that all of these states are normal. Like this is just part of being a person and the more comfortable our children can be with all of them, they'll be able to find other states more quickly. So like it's okay to be angry and I have the tools I need to find calm Mm -hmm. and it's okay to be sad, but I still have the tools to get to where I ultimately can rest and find peace with whatever I'm feeling. And so like Laura said, that's such a big gift. And I love that you're also kind of reminding us and everyone listening that like, it doesn't mean that your your kid's not going to cry when they leave right. the playground. Like, and right. that's okay. And yeah. we want that. We want them to be able to feel those feelings. Cause I often hear like, how do I stop? How do I stop the tantrum? Or like, but they're just going to cry and saying, that's okay. okay. That's really okay. And that's normal. And that's going to happen. And all of these emotions are okay to be. And yeah, so I love that reminder as well, that this isn't going to automatically make, you know, I'm going to start breathing and my kid's never going to have a tantrum at the playground ever again. We did a yoga (laughs) class, but he still gets upset. (laughs) Right. Right. And I think sometimes as parents and, and as teachers, right, we, we hear about a new thing or, Um, you know, something that's going to help just whatever it is. And we try it once or twice. It doesn't work. I'm never doing it again. Mm -hmm. And I think yoga and mindfulness is one of those things that we just have to keep doing it every single day, you know, and it might be for two breaths. It might be, you know, a full 60 minute yoga class. And in whatever way that you're practicing yoga and mindfulness, do it every single day. The consistency is the key. But yeah, the consistency. Yeah. I love everything that you're saying because mostly I feel like it's manageable for any way a parent wants to approach this, whether it be going on a slow walk and picking flowers and listening to the birds sing and taking your time and going at your child's pace all the way to finding a yoga class for them or learning more about yoga and doing the poses with them and practicing those deep breaths and finding and labeling calm and all of the emotions that they're having. So I feel like there's something for everyone and that you don't have to show up perfectly to start. And practicing mindfulness is just practicing and it's just beginning. And it can be as simple as, you know, the story that I shared of like, I told my daughter to breathe and I haven't practiced that with her. Maybe I can do that in a fun way. Like we can 
we can blow dandelions outside. We can blow on a pinwheel and, and bring that practice into our daily lives. So I love that it seems like there's something for every family. And this happens so often with Montessori as well. People feeling like if I can't do it all, then I can't do it. And I feel like you're making it very manageable and actionable for all of us to take these things and apply them into our own lives. The entire time that you were talking, I've been like, I have a pinwheel downstairs. I've just been like (laughs) shoving behind a cabinet for weeks now because it just keeps flopping into my way and it's just irritating me. And I keep meaning to like bring it outside and stick it in like the little garden and be like, look at the wind blowing the pinwheel. I am going to get that pinwheel tomorrow when we are just playing and chilling and having a nice time and everyone's calm and be like, look at how I can blow with my breath on the pinwheel. And I'm just, uh, yeah, yeah, just what Megan's saying. I'm really excited about these very easy, low key, low maintenance things that I can start doing. Cause like I said, I came into it, like, give me the lesson plan. I'll do all the steps. (laughs) And you're like, chill, not necessary. And I'm just really excited about that. Yeah. So where can everyone who's more interested in what you're doing and maybe learning a little bit more and getting some resources and things like that, where can they find you? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm the most active on Instagram and Facebook. Um, Namaste with Kelly. I also have a website, namastewithkelly.com. And then I have a small learning space in Southern Pines, the Connection Corner, where we have, you know, weekly groups. And you can find all of that on the website too. Well, thank you so much for re-recording with us and recording with us. And we're so excited to get this out and share this with everyone because I feel like it's been hugely beneficial just to have this conversation for me personally. So I hope that it's also beneficial for all of you listening too. So thank you so much. Thank you guys. Kelly. All right, let's go ahead and finish out the show with our favorite segment, Confessions from the Wild. I'm just going to go ahead and go first. It is it is tiny, but something that has plagued me for... It's a tiny plague. Cool, it's cool, just cool. a tiny plague that I am slowly <laughs> and silently suffering from is that I have never done a cartwheel. Wow. Okay. Okay. Let's dive into this. Let's unpack this. Okay. I'm having some thoughts. I'm having some feelings. Is it that you've never accomplished a cartwheel or that you've never attempted a cartwheel? And if so, how did you get through the third grade? Okay. Never even tried it is the answer to the first part. The second part is a lot of standing extremely nervously (laughs) to the side of the playground while every other little girl and boy effortlessly accomplished cartwheels from like the slide to the swing set. No big deal. Just, just one after another round offs, backhand springs, cartwheels, you name it. Every child that I've ever seen in my life is capable of (laughs) magical gymnastical feats effortlessly (laughs) up through the age of at least like 10. Right. And they just try it and they're not even worried about it. Megan, I cannot explain to you the true and like all encompassing just terror and certainty that I felt that if I were to even so much as get vertical, but upside down, (laughs) that I would immediately, my just wrists and arms would just buckle and crumble and I would land on my neck and I would be paralyzed for the rest of my life. And that is 100% something that I still am afraid will happen if I tried to do a cartwheel today. I j- and now I'm like, oh, it's for sure going to happen if I try now. Yeah. So yeah. so one, we need to have a little lesson in physics at some point. What do you mean? <laughs> you think that if you were to do a cartwheel, that you would be... <laughs> That your body would just stay vertical and then just crumble beneath you. No, it would be in the just the split millisecond instance that I am vertical and in prime neck snapping position yeah. that I would, in fact, snap my neck right, so in let's a cartwheel. talk about momentum. <laughs> and how just millions of children, like, all over the world just <laughs> – Never snap their necks <laughs> mid cartwheel. 
on the you're playground. Saying that. It's you're just saying a common... that. Do you have that data? Can I see that report? I mean, I didn't know this is a confession. I didn't you know that I, know that I had to bring receipts to this conversation <laughs> about cartwheels specifically. But I'm pretty sure, and I'm going to put my reputation on the line and say that I don't think this is a common playground injury of neck snapping through excessive cartwheeling. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is a metaphor. I think we need to have a talk. (laughs) What is this really? What is this really? (laughs) So I'm actually. how has this impacted your life really? Dude, Mm. you are joking, but I'm not. (laughs) Okay, good. Because as I was thinking in the teacher bathroom earlier this week, whenever it was that it occurred to me that this really should be my confession, is that I immediately wondered, huh, what diagnosable issue (laughs) or just like clearly prevalent disorder have I probably always had that was like right there then that moment when like the teacher was watching every other child try a cartwheel and I was like oh watch your neck and like people (laughs) were asking me to try it and I was like "Mm, absolutely Uh, not why did anyone worry about me you think at that time I mean I I don't know obviously not because we're the first time we're addressing this is right now I can tell you confidently that I never once thought about my neck. I was just like, I'm going to fling myself around this, um, around this patch of grass. Yeah. I just, I think that that is very interesting and that we might need to unpack that in our, in our private time. Okay. We'll circle back. (laughs) And maybe some of the other things that you haven't done for fear of neck breaking. It's more than I would. Honestly, I I probably don't even, I probably have blocked out how many things I have not done because I was so terrified of the 2% chance of this terrible thing happening. See, I was always that kid. I was always that kid that was like very aware of the potential consequences of my actions and the worst case scenario ones. And it very much dictated all the things because I feel like I must have skipped that part of childhood where it's just like, like you said, I'm going to throw my body around this patch of grass. I was like, absolutely not. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't think about any of the stuff. I once tied a rope to the top of a swing set after watching Tarzan. And so I tied it with no knot tying abilities, just the regular, like a shoelace shoelace yeah (laughs) and took it to the top of a a swing set you know it was like monkey bars across to another ladder to like a platform yeah Yeah. and so easily I don't know like 12 feet probably and just flung myself off of that thing hanging onto the rope that immediately unraveled because it was not (laughs) structurally sound and just fell flat on my back and never once did I think before flinging myself off that it could potentially be a poor choice. I was not concerned for my neck at the time. You know what? I mean, we'll, we'll call this an irrational fear. And I mean, I gave mine about tsunamis. And so I guess we all have them that just don't make a ton of sense. And I would love to be there for the day that you do one for the first time. And I... I plan on it. I plan on peer pressuring you into trying. You can try. I've had countless, countless classes of first, second, and third graders who have tried to peer pressure me into trying. <laughs> and we're also very confident that they could teach me how to do it and that I would be safe. I would be okay. And I'm just, nope, absolutely not. Not doing it. Go play somewhere else. Leave me alone. I'm scared. Wow. Well, that was a true confession. Do you feel better yeah, I do feel better. Thank you. Thank okay. you. Did I spark Good. anything you got for you? Up your, up your chest. Um, well, I had a couple of things that I thought that I could talk about. And again, they're very small, but very impressionable on my life's journey. I believe it was the second grade. Have I talked about the second grade yet? I don't think I have. I don't think so. Fifth grade is what for sure I've heard about. <laughs> okay. So I think it was second grade. I'm not really sure, but I was in class and there were like reading groups that they would so slyly try to not name them what they were like advanced or whatever. It was like the star group and the triangle groups that we couldn't like 
rank ourselves, which of course we did. But anyway, I was in my reading group and I don't know if you would believe this about me, but I was a bit of a talkative student. No. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Shocking because like I'm so shy (laughs) and I don't really have much to say. But yeah, I was in class and we were like in our little like small group circle and I was talking like I usually am and I wasn't paying attention to what the teacher was saying. So of course, as teachers do, she called me out to answer the question that I wasn't listening to. And we were reading our new spelling words off of the big chart that she had. And so she had written them out and she wanted me to read the next word on the paper. And in my conversation, just glanced over and I looked at it and just blurted out the word. The word was canoe. Mm. And I said, Cano. I was just going to say, did you go with a, oh, it's like a vowel team, like a magic E deal. It I mean, I didn't even think about it. I just looked at it and I said, Cano. And everyone just started laughing at me. They thought it was hysterical. I did not think it was hysterical. I took my reading group very seriously, other than not really paying attention. <laughs> other than every other choice that I made during reading group. And I don't like to get things wrong. And so I was just mortified about the Cano comment. And I probably would have forgotten about it, but my dear friend, Courtney, who she listens to this sometimes. So if you're listening, Courtney, thank you for bringing this up literally every time I see you. <laughs> this day in our 30s we'll meet up and she'll be like remember that one time when you said cano and so it's always this thing that I don't know what I'm going to tell my kids because sometimes you know embarrassing things happen and what do parents say like oh everyone's going to forget about it tomorrow and I can say that Courtney it has been 20 something years and she's not forgotten so maybe people don't forget your mistakes <laughs> will follow you for the they rest will follow of your you. life you will say one word wrong and everyone will remember and everyone will laugh at you wow. so my confession is that I can't read <laughs> this has been a very emotional episode for us <laughs> yeah this confessions part particularly got uh Started off like silly and had like a little bit of darkness for both of us come out, I think. <laughs> oh, I'm not that's okay. good. That's a good confession, in my opinion, when that can happen. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> and thank you. Rachel, come back. Seriously. Um, <laughs> help us. All right. Do the extra, Megan. Oh, that is a good confession that I need to remember for next time. What? Well, I haven't said it, but I just have one. Okay. That Good luck you remembering it without giving me any help in helping you remember that. Well, Megan. 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 Is that all yeah. I need to know? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for listening to. <laughs> Sorry. I'm going to go over here. <laughs> you get out of here. Thank you for listening to Montessori Moms in the Wild. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Have we changed this? Is this different? No. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, follow, rate, and review. For more content, you can follow us at Montessori Moms. This is different. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I complained about all the words in 16. I'm known for my long outros. Give the people what they want. Although nobody said that they want this. People are silently demanding this. (laughs) That I just make them listen longer. People... Everyone's tuned out at this point. No one's listening anymore. This episode is like four hours long. For more content, you can follow us at Montessori Moms in the Wild on Instagram or email us at Montessori Moms in the Wild at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next week, stay wild. You can come back now. Okay. Whew. I have nothing worse.